I want us to use this as a tool this morning. When our kids were growing up, they had reached certain ages, and they would roll around on the floor, and they would groan and say, my joints and my bones ache. And our response was, those are just growing pains. And uh, they had a lot of growing pains as they grew taller and taller and taller. They were growing pains. Uh, we knew what was, it's okay, you know, we'd tell them, it's all right, you're just growing. And there are growing pains. Here I read a survey recently about uh, churches and their growth, and it says the first seven to ten years of a church's existence, they grow. Then after 25 years, a church usually settles into a maintenance mode or enters a period of decline. And I, uh, I rescued this old book from someplace, and it's Brainerd, Minnesota, 1871 to 1971. And I rescued it for this reason. It, uh, oh, Baptists organized in 1872. 1872. Do the math. I think it's 40, 147 years. The first Baptist church of Brainerd was organized on September 8, 1872, under the leadership of Reverend G.W. Huntley. The building was constructed on property given by the Puget Sound Land Company. In 1881, the church was reorganized with Reverend J. Wilkins as pastor and with 11 charter members. Just before the turn of the century in 1897, a fire partially destroyed the church building and all records were lost. In 1906, a new building was erected on the site of the present church, which was adequate until 1920 when it was voted to remodel the church. So this must have been Gregory Park location there, the one they're talking about. Uh, it was voted to remodel the church auditorium and add an educational unit. The work was started, a basement completed, but not until November of 1930 was the remainder of the work completed and dedication services held. In 1962, the property at 422 North 7th Street was purchased for a parsonage and since that time has been partially remodeled inside and out. In 1970, the final payment on church mortgages was made, and on November 12th of that year, a mortgage-burning service was held with the present pastor, the Reverend Lester Mengel, in charge. First Baptist Church has a large missionary program at present, both on foreign and home fields. Some 24 pastors have served the church, which has a membership at present of about 200 people. Several of its members have gone into the ministry or missionary service. Some of you were here in 1970. That's a long time ago. Uh, that was before me here. I mean, I, I, was, I was not up here as pastor then. But uh, so if the growth takes place in the first seven to ten years, where are we today? Acts chapter 11 gives us three principles for biblical growth. 
And you say, well, I thought the last time you preached in Acts, I know none of you remember this because it was before Thanksgiving. Then we hit Thanksgiving, and then there were special services uh, all the time. Until now, we finally finished Easter, and, uh, and we are going back to Acts for this message today. You say, well, the last time you preached out of Acts, it was Acts chapter 12. No, you don't remember that, but it was Acts chapter 12. Why did we skip Acts chapter 11? Because I didn't think we were ready for Acts chapter 11. We had not finalized the decisions uh, with the deacons and with myself as I, as I tried to cast my vision for the next 10 years at, at First Baptist Church, and, and that hadn't all been finalized, and we didn't know uh, where uh, uh, Missionary Peterson would be in, uh, in our plans. You know, we, were, we had our plans. We didn't know if we would be able to see them come true, uh, but uh, two Sunday nights ago, we voted to bring on uh, missionary Lee Peterson as Pastor Lee Peterson, beginning with the first Sunday in a June from, uh, from this yesterday. Yesterday is June 1st. <sighs> June 1st. So in one year, we're bringing on missionary Lee Peterson to become associate pastor Lee Peterson. Now we are ready for this passage. Uh, by the way, Cindy and I celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary yesterday. <laughs> Applauding Cindy because she's held up so long and so well. Good. Acts chapter 11. Now we're ready to go back to Acts chapter 11. This is the time for Acts chapter 11. I am excited about Acts chapter 11 because we are ready for it as a church here at First Baptist Church, a lighthouse in this community. I'm thankful that we live in an evangelical community uh, like this, but I am thankful for this church family. And so uh, as our facilities grow and uh, we, we think, you know, deacons are talking, Look, what are we going to do for the next expansion in the facilities? Uh, and uh, the next expansion, at least in my mind, and I keep saying, no big building programs, no big building programs. Let's take the glass walls out and just move the auditorium into the hallway and our, and our foyer will be, our fellowship hall will become the foyer and uh, we'll still be able to get another uh, 75 people in here with that space. And, uh, but for biblical church growth, there are really three principles that are presented here in Acts chapter 11, and I want to concentrate on them. I want to begin with, beginning with verse 19 and just read through the end of the chapter of Acts chapter 11. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. That's not a good thing. And some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. 
Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, he's going to check up on him, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, one of the songs, the songs that, the, are you, that was sung this morning, you know, nothing's greater than God's grace. He is there. The grace of God was, uh, when they saw the grace of God, how did they see it? It wasn't signs in the sky. It wasn't signs on the buildings. It wasn't signs that said the grace of God. It was, they saw it in people and how it changed people's lives. But when they saw the grace of God, they were glad. Barnabas was glad that, um, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul, to expand the ministry. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called, first, were called Christians first at Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great drought throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, when the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send, okay, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did. And send it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Three principles there. I hope we can, we're going to look at the first one is all this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, might it impact our lives? Might it change me? Because you, you say, if we take it in, it will make a difference because it becomes a tool of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking, asking that this morning for myself and for this family that's gathered here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what's the first principle that I see in this, in Acts 11, verse 19? Uh, first of all, I see that there, there's antagonism in society because they are in Antioch. Why are they there? There was a lot of animosity towards them in Jerusalem. And uh, it wasn't, a, uh, Antioch is not a biblical, is not a, a Bible-based center. Antioch is a center for heathen worship. It is a major political city. It is a major political or a commercial center. It was became the third largest city in the empire at that time, Antioch. They did have a large Jewish population because of the, the persecution in Jerusalem. And so in 40 AD, the Jews in Jerusalem began to be persecuted. Why? That first verse 19 says, because of the message that Stephen preached. And he got martyred. 
So Stephen preaches, all the Jews, of, uh, the believing Jews have gathered in Jerusalem, and he preaches, and persecution fell heavy and hard and fast on those believers in Jerusalem, and they scattered out, and one of the large groups of believing Jews wound up at Antioch. And so uh, this center of Antioch is a center of moral decay, religious confusion. They had many, many gods and racial tension, tension between the Gentile or Grecians and the Jews. Does that sound at all familiar to our society today? Uh, moral decay, check. Religious confusion, check. Racial tension, check. All three of them. And so uh, such a large number came of uh, Grecians came to know Christ as their Savior that the church at Jerusalem sends Barnabas to check it out find out what is going on there, seeing if they're preaching the gospel. And so he arrives on the scene in A.D. 41, and what he found brought gladness to his heart because three principles were being practiced by that church in Antioch. And the first one is reaching out to the lost. Verses 19 through 21, that's what they're doing. Evangelism. Evangelism. Now, we hardly know what evangelism means anymore. When I was a kid, I grew up in child evangelism. And uh, my mom taught child evangelism. And at the close of the school day, uh, we would uh, walk from our, our grade school over to our church and and a lot of my classmates would walk with me, and a lot of the school showed up, and, and we had child evangelism. We had uh, pictures, stories, and kids, you're going you're gonna to wonder what I'm t- talking about here, but these uh, a flannel graph board, and, they, and mom would put pictures of people cut out of paper up on the board. You know, today it's all videos and stuff like that. that was, they were the videos of our day. We would come to child evangelism just to see that what would show up on this screen, well, board, flannel graph board. Uh, but what do, do we know what uh, evangelism is today? That's what was going on here. Reaching out to the lost is evangelism. A lot of my friends in, in grade school got saved because of child evangelism. And it, of this... In this uh, reaching out to the lost, it was an undetoured, unstoppable outreach. It didn't stop them just because, uh, just because the, the Greeks were the ones that were most receptive. It didn't stop them because politically they were oppressed. It didn't stop them. Now, several years before Barnabas arrived, believers at Antioch came as refugees setting up little settlements, uh, villages, tents. Uh, and we know in our minds, it's, uh, you know, it can be uh, Mexican refugees or uh, across uh, the oceans, there are refugee camps all over, and they're not pleasant, but that's what was happening here. 
And it was an undeterred outreach. They were reaching out because of the message that Stephen preached and was killed, martyred for, in Jerusalem. They were scattered abroad, but this didn't stop them. They left Jerusalem being chased by those that wanted to kill them. It didn't stop them talking about Jesus. What about us? You know, most of the great evangelistic efforts in the past, in church history, came with a lot of ridicule, a lot of persecution, a lot of, a lot of hardship, and, uh, and evangelism is still taking place around the world. Not so much here in the United States. I read uh, last month's uh, magazine, Voice of the Martyrs, uh, highlighted Sudan. And a pastor and his wife, preaching there in Sudan, uh, became so persecuted with their little kids that they fled Sudan and they wound up here in the United States. They were granted asylum in the United States. After two years, what was the, uh, the wife's response to their comforts here in the United States? She said, Honey, we've got to go back. We've got to go back someplace where we make a difference. Wow. And they moved back. And they're being persecuted today because he is still preaching God's word, undeterred evangelism, outreach to those around us. And sharing the gospel will often bring ridicule and resistance. Now, not so much in this community. I, I said, I, I'm thanking the Lord, we're in an evangelical community where I see other families praying at places uh, before they eat and, and where we can, we can mention Jesus Christ and, and not expect ridicule. Um, I know every now and then we will pay for somebody behind us in a drive through and, and uh, I, I want them to know why. And, and so I hand the money to the young man, and I say, you know, if they, if they say anything, which they'll probably say, well, why? Just tell them that Jesus has been good to us, and we want to share that with them. And uh, the guy that took the money, okay. I mean, it wasn't, I, I didn't receive any ridicule for that. But uh, in lots of places, there is ridicule. Uh, Jesus said that preaching Christ is foolishness to those in a contemporary world. It will make them feel uncomfortable, but we've got to do it. Our goal is not to be offensive but we, with the message that we give, but it will make them uncomfortable. Why? Because the message we give is bad news and good news. And people get hung up on the bad news. And the bad news is, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means you. And when you give that message, that you are a sinner. I mentioned at one of the funerals this week that, that um, we never had to, to teach our five kids how to sin. Never had to. I mean, from the day they were born, they were selfish, they were self-centered, they were demanding. Uh, you know, all of these things. And our kids were overachievers at all of that stuff. And, and they, uh, 
because the bad news is we are born in sin, and the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're carrying that message to a lost world who, uh, if they are sinners and the Holy Spirit is not working in their life, it will be foolishness to them. They do not want to believe that. We're not, that's one reason why we are haters, because we say everybody's not going to heaven. You hater. You're a hater if you don't believe everybody's going to heaven. But not everybody's going to heaven. I can tell a person with cancer, you don't have cancer. That doesn't change the fact that they have cancer. And they're going, you know, if they don't get treatment or whatever it is. Uh, so the, the news. But these were, they were sharing the gospel with those around them. And it says, you know, it uses the word preaching the word, but it's not a formal preaching. That's not the word that is used here. Uh, to none but unto the Jews only. And again, that down here a little further, uh, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. No, they are not giving three, uh, three points in a poem uh, like, meth- like pastors do. They are proclaiming that Jesus is the only way that you're going to have eternal life. The only way that you're going to make a difference in this world is through Jesus Christ. And so uh, they were undetoured. They were unstoppable here. But there's nothing comfortable about church growth. So I want us to realize that as a church family. There's nothing comfortable about it. I mean, we need to be uncomfortable enough to share Christ with those around us. We're going to... uh, Now, it's exciting. Church growth is exciting. But it's not comfortable. We're going to have neighborhood Bible time, July. And we're going to receive wristbands, and and we're going to pass them out to kids, and we're going to have a float in the parade, and and we're going to be called upon to go around our neighborhoods and invite the kids to uh, neighborhood Bible time. And maybe you're going to need to to, uh, load those dirty rugrats into your clean new vehicle and drive them here to church uh, because we're not going to let their mud or dirt Stop us from reaching lost souls, reaching out. So it was uh, an unstoppable outreach. Ours should be as well. It was a lay outreach. I mean, lay as uh, like laity, church laity, and and uh, the pastorate. You know, there, there, there's not, there's really not a lot of difference there. It's us, and uh, but it's lay. Outreach. That means everybody was reaching out. And it wasn't just inviting people to church. It was inviting people to Jesus Christ. And there will be people I will never see that you see every day. And your opportunity is to share Jesus Christ with them. Move them one notch closer to trusting Christ as Savior. It's at Antioch where they, uh, these people are begin to reach out to others. Everybody was doing it. Lay people confronting lost people. Got that? Lay people confronting lost people. That's our job. Ah, you, you've got some other job to make some money to buy some groceries, but it's, your job is 
reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That is not just my job. It is my job, but not just my job. Uh, Dorothy Shalene passed away, and we had her funeral Friday. Uh, she was forever asking people, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And their response then opened up opportunities for her to share Jesus. The, the, in the end times, the hospice nurse uh, would hear her say, do you know Jesus? And I can't wait to go to heaven. Things that she would share. Dick Dean is passing away in hospice care. Now, these are two, you know, that should be our examples. We lose our ones with outreach. We need others to step up and take their place. Lay people reaching lost people. Dick Dean uh, visited with him on Friday and he says, Pastor, I think the end is real near for me. Now, we thought that would be two months ago, but he's still here. God still has a purpose for him here. Maybe it is his prayers, but he would share Christ with everyone, lay people, reaching lost people. We, uh, we have the wedding in our backyard on Friday night. Uh, Friday, Friday evening at 6.30. Seven for those that weren't paying attention. Um, but our, our yard is there for a reason, and it's to reach our neighbors. Now, we'll use it for weddings. We've got another one on uh, June 20th from uh, a young couple in our running group. But we're, our yard is there not so that we have some place to go, but some place where we can reach lost people. We can reach our neighbors. We host our neighborhood picnic. Last year we had about 100. Maybe that's what, where, where have you been blessed? Are you going to use that to reach lost people? An unstoppable outreach, a lay outreach. You know, some churches today use all kinds of things, and and I'm not going to criticize them if they are reaching lost people, whether it be rock bands or professional wrestling or, or whatever uh, that they use, if they are using it to reach lost people. And I mean more than just saying, come and join Jesus' team. You know, that's sometimes, that's what I hear. That's the caption over the article. I mean, come and join Jesus' team. There isn't anything there about sin and repent from your sin and ask Jesus to save you. It's just come and join Je the team Jesus, you know. Well, if that's reaching lost people, go for it. But uh, if it's not, then use, do something. But here, it is lay people reaching lost people here in Acts. It's an unstoppable outreach. It's a lay outreach. It is cross-cultural outreach. Some of these believers finally began to witness to the Grecians. They, they were just witnessing to their circle. No, cross-cultural. Doesn't matter. Don't look at skin. 
Don't look at eyes. Don't look at characteristics that we might think. Uh, and we say, oh, I can't. Don't look at a, at a headdress, um, uh, scarves, as something that's going to keep you from witnessing to that person. Have you ever, have, have you seen one who uh, is a Muslim and you think, I can't share Christ with them because they're a Muslim? That's the very reason why you need to share Christ with them. They need Jesus too. Finally, they said, hey, the Grecians need Jesus too. And they began to share preaching the Lord Jesus in verse 20. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed. Wow, the ones that they said, they're not going to get saved. They're not Jews. No, a great number gets saved. But what it's going to call us to do is to get out of our comfort zone. I'm uncomfortable. And you might be uncomfortable. I'm being uncomfortable approaching somebody that is dressed differently than me or looks different than me and trying to share Jesus with them. We step out of our comfort zones. We've got to step out of our comfort zones. Or we do not reach the lost. We would all like to just, if we just gather here once or twice or three times a week in this building, that's all that's expected of us. No, it isn't. God expects us to reach the lost. Even if it is uncomfortable. Even if it is with people that uh, we don't know a lot about. Or we're afraid of. Uh, Every now, I get... uh, a thing on my computer, it's a God tube. And every now and then they will show somebody on America's Got Talent that is uh, stepping out of their comfort zone and they're singing a, a praise song to Jesus Christ. Wow, good for you. You know, they, they don't care that they're, the people that are watching are, um, don't care about Jesus. They're going to sing it anyway. And so we step out of our comfort zone. So that's what was taking place here in Antioch. What is taking place here in Brainerd and Baxter? Are we reaching out? Are we reaching cross-culturally? We do not have a lot of different cultures here in our community. But we we, we should encourage... Uh, the Lord is sending us people from different cultures. And we shouldn't complain when the, the culture that is, uh, is really growing in St. Cloud begins to move up here. In some way, we ought to say, well, thank you, Lord, you're sending us a mission field. We don't have to go across the country, across cultural uh, re- outreach is what was taking place here, are you reaching out? It's a life-changing outreach as well. Verse 21, great number get saved and they turn unto the Lord. Do you get that? When you get saved, you, it is going to make a difference. You're going to turn. Uh, when a person gets saved, he turns unto the Lord. That's what repentance means. To turn around, you're going one direction, you're on your way to hell, you trust Christ as your Savior, and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what repentance means. It makes a difference. It changes our lives. Has it changed our lives? 
It's the same word, this turn. Turn to God from idols in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 to serve the living and true God. To turn from something to something. Has it changed you? Uh, last night, I was trying to finish up emails that I hadn't gotten to. And I ran across a, a, an article and I copied it down this morning. It's the three symptoms of a dying church. Three symptoms of a dying church. Now, I, I, I don't, I want to be a, the symptoms of a, of a growing church. Well, this caught my attention because of what I'd been studying. It's by David Gibson. He's a pastor over in Scotland. This is how he begins. He says, I knew the patient before she died. It was 10 years ago. She was very sick at the time, but she didn't want to admit it. She never got better. She slowly and painfully deteriorated, and then she died. She, of course, was the church. Boy, that'd be terrible if that happened. And then he goes into James, in the book of James, and says there were seven sympt- er, uh, three symptoms that James confronts in the church that he wrote to. And the first one was the words we speak. Three symptoms of a dying church. It reveals in the words we speak. When we speak, begin to speak angry words, he said, then you know you're dying. When you begin to speak angry words. How did James address this? Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And a couple verses later, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is vain or worthless. So we can have words of uh, encouragement and uh, of Jesus Christ and sharing Christ with others, or we can be destroying our church family. James 3, he says, the tongue is a fire. It sets on fire its members, stains the whole body, and it's a fire from hell. And he said, these things ought not to be. On uh, Friday, Friday or Thursday, Thursday, I was visiting with Roger and Pat Bedner. Roger had surgery last week, and I was visiting with them, and when I left, they, they gave a bunch of stuff for the teen garage sale, but they gave me a shock collar, and I'd never really seen a shock collar, but it's a collar you put on a dog, and it's got three little points coming into it that and they put it on the dog and and I believe maybe it's a barking shark shock collar because um, there's no other control just a battery you plug into it and I thought after looking at it wondering well we don't have any dogs uh, maybe what we could do is get shock collars for all of us and whenever any unkind Word comes out of our mouth. <clears throat> and that, well, warning. 
Because sometimes I think things slip out of our mouths that ought not to be. But, but we do it because we're, we're not even thinking. And any time an unkind word, any time an angry word, any time you, you raise your voice, and it starts, it starts to get you. Uh, maybe that's what we need. Now, that's, we have the opportunity to speak blessing or speak cursing. Cursing is one of the signs, or uh, uh, an angry tongue, a bitter tongue, a thoughtless tongue, is one of the signs of a church that's dying. I don't want that. And I don't think you do either. But sometimes I hear the funniest things about comments that are made. Uh, and one of the funniest, and if you said this, uh, I apologize for saying it, but I think you said it in jest. But it wasn't received in jest. That, uh, you know, the ladies are hard at work. Three funerals in eight days. They're, they're putting food out and they're working here. And they work all day or, and even before collecting all the food and preparing all the food. And, uh, and somebody says, there's too much chocolate on the dessert table. I don't, I don't know who it was, so you, you probably didn't sound like that. Uh, but if, we, if you had a, a shot caller, you'd get it. Or, you know, just to criticize, to complain, every t complaint you make, you know, it would, it would, be, it would, I, it would be kind of funny uh, as long as it was on your throats and not on mine. But we... We choose. One will build because we're sharing Christ. One will destroy or kill because we're unkind in what we speak. Be careful this week, please. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I realize that sometimes I do not speak before I think. And I realize sometimes I don't speak at all because of fear. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to reach out to the lost. Might I be concerned? Might, it be, might I desire your body here in Baxter to grow, your family to grow, enough that I'm willing to share Jesus Christ with those around me? Lord, I, that is my prayer. I pray that for the rest of us here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.